in nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Grant us peace, O Lord, in our days, for there is none other who will fight for us, save but you, our God. Welcome back to the Memento Traditionis podcast. This episode we will be looking into indulgences, some historical background, what they are, and how can we receive them. First off, I'm going to read a decree from the Council of Trent concerning indulgences. This is what they say. Whereas the power of conferring indulgences was granted by Christ to the Church, and she has, even in the most ancient times, used the said power delivered unto her of God, the Sacred and Holy Synod teaches and enjoins that the use of indulgences for the Christian people, most salutary, and approved of by the authority of sacred councils, is to be retained in the Church, and it condemns with anathema those who either assert that they are useless or who deny that there is in the Church the power of granting them. In granting them, however, it desires that in accordance with the ancient and approved custom in the Church, moderation be observed, lest by excessive facility ecclesiastical discipline be enervated. And being desirous that the abuses which have crept therein, and by occasion of which this honorable name of indulgences is blasphemed by heretics, be amended and corrected, it ordains generally by this decree that all evil gains for the obtaining thereof, whence a most prolific cause of abuses amongst the Christian people has been derived, be wholly abolished. But as regards the other abuses which have proceeded from superstition, ignorance, irreverence, or from whatsoever other source, since by reason of the manifold corruptions in the places and provinces where the said abuses are committed, they cannot conveniently be specially prohibited. It commands all bishops diligently to collect each in his own church all abuses of this nature, and to report them in the first provincial synod, that after having been reviewed by the opinions of other bishops also, they may forthwith be referred to the sovereign Roman pontiff by whose authority and prudence that which may be expedient for the universal church will be ordained, that this, the gift of the holy indulgences, may be dispensed to all the faithful, piously, holily, and incorruptly. So as we can see here, the Council of Trent speaks very authoritatively on the concept and the practice of indulgences. First off, it says that The Church has given and conferred indulgences since the most ancient times, which is something that we will look into briefly in a few minutes here. Also, it's important to recognize that it strongly condemns with anathema those who either assert that they are useless or who deny that the Church has the power to grant them. So yes, there have been abuses in the past, but those are abuses. They aren't how indulgences are meant to be used or meant to be received. And so we should look into what actually are indulgences because it says here that they should be suggested and proposed to the people as salutary, something that will benefit the church greatly and something that we should seek to receive. To solidify this point here, Let's read a few excerpts from Exerge Domine, 
which is a bull that Pope Leo X wrote condemning the errors of Martin Luther. Now, there are a number of errors that he condemns here, but I just want to focus on a few that are related to indulgences. Now, these propositions that I'm going to read are condemned, so just keep that in mind. Indulgences are pious frauds of the faithful and remissions of good works, and they are among the number of those things which are allowed and not of the number of those things which are advantageous. They are seduced who believe that indulgences are salutary and useful for the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there are a number of other condemnations here related to indulgences, among other things. But I think these two point out that, in fact, indulgences are something that are salutary, that are something that are advantageous of the faithful and something that we should seek. So with that in mind... I'm going to open up a few catechisms here. Um, I have the Baltimore Catechism, the Catechism Explained by Reverend Francis Perago, as well as a book called My Catholic Faith, which is a fantastic catechism of sorts that's put out by Sarto House. But before we jump into indulgences, let's take a look at what the Church teaches about purgatory. In the Catechism Explained, we read, Purgatory is a place where the souls of those must suffer for a time who, though dying without grave sin on their souls, have not done complete penance for their offenses against God. Judas Maccabeus was convinced that the souls of those who had died in battle with idols on them had to be punished, and for that reason offered sacrifices to be offered for them in Jerusalem. 2 Maccabees 12.43 Quote, The stains which the soul has received during its sojourn in the body must be removed by the purging fire, says St. Gregory of Nyssa. And St. Gregory Nanzianzen tells us that in the future life there is a baptism of fire, a hard and weary baptism, to destroy what is earthly in man. As to the situation in purgatory, most of the saints seem to think it is beneath the earth. Hence, the prayer of the church From the gates of hell deliver him, O Lord. And out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord. Some also believe that many souls for a time at least suffered their purgatory in those places on earth where their sins were committed and that they are often present at the prayers which are offered for them. It is certain also that the holy souls have appeared to many saints, for example, St. Teresa, St. Bridget, St. Philip Neri. As to the state of the holy souls, the saints are of the opinion that they suffer in all resignation to God's will. St. Catherine of Genoa tells us that God fills them with his love so that their greatest pains become tolerable. Moreover, the knowledge that they will finally attain the vision of God and that they are secure of their eternal salvation gives them great consolation. Besides, as St. Francis of Rome tells us, they are comforted by the prayers of the faithful on earth and the blessed in heaven and by the visits of holy angels. The consciousness that they are make, making atonement to God and suffering for him makes them courageous as martyrs, says St. Catherine of Genoa. The holy souls suffer in purgatory to expiate either their venial sins or those mortal sins which, though absolved, have not been absolutely atoned for. Venial sins are visited with temporal punishment, as in the case of Zachary, who doubted the angel, 
or Moses. Mortal sins also, though repented of and put away, are often visited with temporal punishment, as in the case of Adam and David. The Council of Trent teaches that whoever does not satisfy completely for his sins on earth must do so in purgatory. So on earth a man may be punished by a fine. If he does not pay it, he must go to prison. Hence we should not be satisfied with the penance given us by our confessor. We should add something of our own. Much may be done by patient enduring of sickness or willing acceptance of death. Not even the least sins should be neglected. They must be atoned for. So one thing we should note here is that what he is saying is that we need to have this understanding of sin. Um, maybe I can use an example here. Let's say that I take a baseball and I throw it through my neighbor's window and it breaks the window. And then I go up to my neighbor and I say, please forgive me, I'm sorry I did that. I don't know why I did that, you know, whatever I might say. And perhaps they forgive me. But that doesn't make up for the fact that they still have a broken window. You know, they may have forgiven me, but you know, something needs to be set right here. There's still a damage that's been done that needs to be fixed. And that's what uh, we're talking about here. So even though you go to confession and the priest gives you a penance, you would say that penance is part of your confession and the priest having absolved you, your sins would be forgiven. However, that doesn't really make up for the fact that you've still hurt God in some way, that you've perhaps you've hurt uh, our fellow man in some way, and you need to make up to this, make up for this to make it right. Perhaps uh, maybe you stole ten dollars from your <laughs> kid brother, I don't know, and you say you're sorry, or maybe you just confess it to the priest. Well, that doesn't make up for the fact that you still should give your brother back $10, uh, perhaps even more, just to uh, atone for the, the, the wrong that you've done. So that's what we're talking about here. We have to distinguish between eternal punishment, which is forgiven in confession and in baptism, and temporal punishment. So that's what purgatory is about. It's this idea that, yes, Anyone that's in purgatory is going to heaven eventually, but they need to make up for their sins. They need to make atonement. They need to make restitution for the wrongs they have done. Things need to be set right. You know, God forgives us and he's very merciful, and we should be always thankful for that. But God is also a just God who wants to set things right, and we should want to help him to do that. And so we do penance to make up for the wrongs that we've done. And that is why purgatory exists. I like, it th I like to think of it this way, and um, this is just my own opinion, but think of it like this. Um, perhaps some of you have uh, had roommates before or you know, even lived with your family. And you know your family gets on your nerves once in a while. Your roommates get on your nerves. Maybe you've had troubles with them. And it's not uh, always an enjoyable experience, although hopefully it is most of the time. But heaven is a place where there's no tears, there's no pain. And we as Christians will be together in Christ for all eternity. And 
I can't imagine that being a place of no pain and no tears and no suffering if everyone that is in heaven is, is not made perfect. And that's what purgatory is about. We need to be making atonement for what we've done, not just because it's a punishment, but because we need to be perfected. We need to be refined. We need to have the rough edges uh, polished um, to be uh, worked off, to sand, sand them down, however you want to put it. And so that is what penance is about. That's what this temporal punishment is about. It's about... It's about uh, setting things right. I hope that makes sense. Um, perhaps we can talk about that in a future episode at some point. So now that we have some understanding of purgatory and temporal punishment and eternal punishment, the difference between the two, let's take a look at what indulgences are. And here I will be reading from the book My Catholic Faith. What is an indulgence? An indulgence is the remission granted by the Church of the temporal punishment due to sins already forgiven. So that's an important point to recognize. These are sins that are already forgiven. So indulgences do not forgive sin. So if someone is not in a state of grace, they will not receive this indulgence. It goes on to say, our Lord gave the apostles and their successors the power to deliver men from every obstacle that might separate them from heaven. Thus he said to St. Peter, Whatever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. To the apostles assembled together he later made the same solemn declaration. Since Christ gave the apostles the power and right to forgive sins, free men from hell, and lead them to heaven. He certainly also gave them the lesser power to free sinners from the temporal punishment due to sin and save them from purgatory. A civil ruler who has the right to pardon criminals is empowered to choose in what manner he will grant the pardon. The church exercises a similar power and right in granting indulgences. An indulgence is not a permission or license to sin, one who is not in the state of grace cannot gain an indulgence. It is simply a forgiveness or release from temporal punishment, but the guilt must be previously have been taken away by confession. An indulgence relates to temporal punishment due to sins of the past and cannot be gained for future sins. How does the church, by means of indulgences, remit the temporal punishment due to sin? The Church, by means of indulgences, remits the temporal punishment due to sin by applying to us, from her spiritual treasury, part of the infinite satisfaction of Jesus Christ and of the superabundant satisfaction of the Blessed Virgin Mary and of the saints. In the Church, there is a spiritual treasury made up of the superabundant merits of our Lord, the Blessed Mother, and the saints. The merits of the Passion and Death of our Lord are infinite, for He is God. All these he left to his church. The superabundant satisfaction of the Blessed Virgin Mary and of the saints is that which they gained during their lifetime but did not need, and which the church applies to their fellow members of the communion of the saints. So this is something we need to keep in mind here, is that 
this is part of our understanding of the communion of the saints. So when we say the creed and that we say we believe in the communion of the saints, we are saying that we believe that we can not only, you know, ask for their prayers, but we can also receive some of the merits and graces that they have offered up on our behalf or that the church dispenses for us. Going back to the book here. When the church grants an indulgence, it does not really cancel any expiation due to God. It only supplies for our deficiencies by drawing on the spiritual treasuries of the church. A mother had many sons and daughters. Some of them acquired great riches, and upon dying bequeathed their possessions to their mother, to be used as she pleased. Now the mother had younger children who needed support and education. Once in a while, therefore, the mother withdrew money from the bank, where she had deposited the riches left her, and used this money for her, her other children. Divine justice requires an exact reparation for all sins we have committed. Usually the small penance of a few prayers imposed by the confessor is not sufficient to make satisfaction for our sins, which have outraged the holiness of God. Besides, we are often careless and have only imperfect contrition for our sins. Therefore, even after our sins are forgiven, there usually remains some temporal punishment which we have to suffer either here or in purgatory. If we make use of indulgences, we draw upon the spiritual treasury of the church and thus balance our account with God. Has the church always exercised its right to grant indulgences to the faithful? The church has always exercised its right to grant indulgences. The apostles granted indulgences. St. Paul writes of a Corinthian who had shown such signs of true repentance that his penance had been remitted. Whom you pardon anything, I also pardon. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I have done for your sakes in the person of Christ. During the time of the great persecutions, the confessors and martyrs remained constant and were cast into prison, and many were put to death. Others denied their faith to escape persecution. On these, the church imposed severe penances. However, if the confessors and martyrs interceded in behalf of the apostates, their time of penance was shortened by the bishop. In other words, an indulgence was granted to them by the proper authority in view of the superabundant merits of those who interceded for them. As the centuries passed, the church moderated its severe penances. There was danger that if penances continued to be very severe, many would be unable to fulfill them. In order, therefore, to save as many souls as possible, the church made the penances lighter. Public penances ceased to be imposed. The penitent was permitted to make atonement by means of alms deeds, crusades, or pilgrimages. Hence, the wider use of indulgences came about, and they were granted for works comparatively easy of accomplishment. More and more indulgences came to be granted, as today they are granted, for reciting certain prayers, for visiting certain holy places, for fasting and almsgiving, for using certain sacred objects. Thus, when the Holy Land came into the power of the Turks, the pilgrimages could no longer be made to Jerusalem. Pope Boniface VIII granted a plenary indulgence to all who, during the year of 1300, should by 15 successive days visit the Basilica of the Apostles in Rome. This was the origin of the Jubilee indulgence. One thing I'll note here is that they speak very strongly of indulgences 
being used through even the early church. And we can see that in the examples of the martyrs and the confessors. And this example from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. I think it's commonly believed, um, even among many Catholics, that indulgences were invented by the medieval church. But this is not true. And the Council of Trent has spoken definitively on this, that it, these indulgences were granted from the earliest times of the church. So before we move on to the next section, let me just recap what we've learned here. So an indulgence is granted by the church, and it's a remission of temporal punishment due to sins that have already been forgiven. One who's not in a state of grace cannot gain an indulgence. And let's keep in mind that these indulgences come from the merits of Christ, which are infinite, as well as the Blessed Virgin and of the saints. And we can think of it as like a bank account that they have stored up many treasures, which we can benefit from and the church will dispense to us and to those who we have intentions for in purgatory on our behalf and on their behalf. So now that we understand what indulgences are, let's take a look at what are some advantages of indulgences. And this is what the book My Catholic Faith has to say. Number one, they cancel or lessen our temporal punishment. Thus those who neglect the practice of gaining indulgences may be likened to a traveler who prefers a long and difficult road, although a short and pleasant one is offered him. Number two, they console us in our fear of God's judgment for our past sins and give us hope for the future. When we sin, they encourage us to make our peace with God, for a state of grace is necessary before we can gain any indulgence. Number three, they encourage us to go frequently to the sacraments and to do good works. They enable us to practice charity toward the holy souls in purgatory. So we can see here that indulgences have a few benefits, um, very good benefits. They cancel or lessen temporal punishment. They give us some consolation because we realize that we have hope to make up for what we've done. And they can encourage us to go frequently to the sacraments, which will become clearer in a few moments here as we discuss exactly how one receives an indulgence. In addition to this, I think we'll see some other benefits from indulgences. So with that being said, what are the different types of indulgences one might receive? So there are essentially two main types. One is known as a plenary indulgence, and the other is a partial indulgence. And each of these can be received by doing various different types of prayers and works, which we will go into in a little bit later. So the question might be, okay, what is a plenary indulgence? What does that mean? And my Catholic faith says, a plenary indulgence is the remission of all temporal punishment due to sins. Let me say that again. All temporal punishment. One who dies immediately after gaining a plenary indulgence goes straight to heaven without having to pass through purgatory. The good thief was granted by our Lord a plenary indulgence because of his perfect contrition of heart. To the other thief, he said, 
that they were receiving what their deeds deserved. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Amen, I say to thee, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. What is a partial indulgence? A partial indulgence is the remission of part of the temporal punishment due to our sins. Indulgences are generally greater or less in proportion to the works prescribed. For some easy work, a small indulgence is granted, and for more difficult work, a greater indulgence. As no one knows how much the penances of old satisfied God's justice, so we cannot know how much temporal punishment is remitted by the corresponding partial indulgence. We only know that the more indulgences we may be able to earn, the less will be our punishment in purgatory. We cannot even be sure we have gained the indulgences since efficacy depends on our good dispositions. So I think the key to note here is that we should try to seek to receive as many indulgences as we can and do these works with devotion, but we shouldn't worry so much about whether we've received a plenary indulgence or not or over how much of a partial indulgence it is and you know what exactly it means. It would certainly be interesting to know, but the main point here is to draw closer to God and to do good works and to pray and strengthen our communion with Christ. After that, we'll just have to let God figure out what type of indulgence it was and to what extent it was partial or plenary. Who has the authority to grant indulgences? The Pope alone has authority to grant plenary indulgences and indulgences for the whole church. Archbishops and bishops can grant partial indulgences for their own dioceses. An indulgence is granted for the living or for the dead. An indulgence for the living means for the person who performs the good work. We cannot gain an indulgence for another living person. The Holy See alone can grant indulgences applicable to the dead. All papal indulgences can be applied to the souls in purgatory unless otherwise stated. Most indulgences are today applicable to the dead. Persons who have made a, the heroic act can apply every indulgence to the poor souls. And I believe here what's meant by the heroic act is to, as is commonly said today, to offer it up. So basically saying, God, I offer any indulgence that I might receive here to the holy souls in purgatory. Maybe you might name some specific relative that you know that has died, um, or perhaps you ask uh, Mary to distribute it to whoever it needs it the most. Okay, now let's switch things up a bit. I am going to open up the Manual of Indulgences, which the USCCB put out recently. You can buy it from their store online. I'll include a link in the show notes. And the reason I have this book is that, as we just read, indulgences are something that are granted by the Pope and by bishops for partial indulgences. And these indulgences can be rescinded or abrogated, or however you want to look at it. So this is something that needs to be in place in a legal standing, if you will. And after the Second Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI 
decided to revise how indulgences were granted and which ones were granted because there was a very long list before and he wanted to simplify that process um, so that it was ideally clearer. So I do not know if um, old books of indulgences are necessarily 100% accurate, but there's certainly very good ones out there like the Ricolta, um, which I'd have to ask a, a canon lawyer or someone who's or who knows about those things. But at the very least, we can say that this manual of indulgences is in effect. So anything listed in here would be an indulgence that one might receive. And I think as we'll see, the things that they list basically apply to probably almost everything that was in the old books anyways. So let's take a look and see what it has to say about how we might gain an indulgence. And these are standards that, as far as I know, have always been in effect. In order to be capable of gaining indulgences, one must be baptized, not excommunicated, and in the state of grace, at least at the completion of the prescribed works. So basically, you have to be a Catholic in good standing and in the state of grace, which is a good incentive to go to confession regularly, and I would suggest at least every two weeks, if you're looking to receive as many indulgences as you can, and certainly immediately after you commit any mortal sins. The manual goes on to say, To gain an indulgence, one must have at least the general intention of doing so, and must carry out the enjoined works at the stated time and in due fashion, according to the sense of the grant. Okay, so you have to do the work that's prescribed by the indulgence, and you have to have at least the general intention to receive the indulgence. So you might have the question, what does it, exactly does it mean to have the general intention to receive the indulgences? This is something that I actually looked up. Um, you know, I was very curious about this, and I looked all over the place, and I discovered that the Baltimore Catechism, number four, has the answer to this. So let's see what that has to say. To gain an indulgence, you must have the intention of gaining it. There are many prayers that we sometimes say to which indulgences are attached, and we do not know it. How can we gain them? By making a general intention every morning while saying our prayers to gain all the indulgences we can during the day, whether we know them or not. So this is a very helpful tip here, because I could see someone being very scrupulous about this and trying to bring to mind every single time they do something that is worthy of an indulgence that they have the intention. Well, here we can see that as long as you have the general intention in the morning to receive as many indulgences as you can, even if you don't know that something you're doing is has an indulgence attached to it, you can still receive that indulgence, which is great. <laughs> so what I would recommend is praying a morning offering, which, for example, I, I like to say this one that starts like this. Oh, Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass offered throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for all the intentions of my relatives and friends, 
and also for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. And I would also add at the end, because although we are offering up everything for his intentions, I think at least, uh, and maybe I'm being a little bit scrupulous about this, but I think if I want to have a general intention of receiving indulgences, then I should probably at least make it explicit that I have this general intention. So I've been in the practice of saying after my morning offering, and Lord, I offer up any indulgences that I may merit today for the holy souls in purgatory, or perhaps for my grandmother or my grandfather, or whoever you want to say. Or you might say something like, and I ask of the Blessed Virgin, dispense these indulgences to those who need them the most. Okay, just to recap real quick here. To gain indulgence, you need to be a Catholic in good standing and in a state of grace. You need to have the general intention to receive an indulgence, which you should make every morning. And you need to do the work that's prescribed. And there are a few other conditions here. So for a plenary indulgence, this can be acquired only once in the course of a day. A partial indulgence can be acquired multiple times. So you might receive a plenary indulgence, but you can only receive one per day. However, you can receive as many partial indulgences as you do the work to receive them. And even if something says it has a plenary indulgence, you could still receive a partial indulgence if you don't meet the conditions for the plenary indulgence. So let's see what those are. To gain a plenary indulgence, in addition to excluding all attachment to sin, even venial sin, it is necessary to perform the indulgence work and fulfill the following three conditions. Sacramental confession, Eucharistic communion, and prayer for the intention of the Sovereign Pontiff. A single sacramental confession suffices for gaining several plenary indulgences, but Holy Communion must be received and prayer for the intention of the Holy Father must be recited for the gaining of, the plen of each plenary indulgence. So basically, this is why you should go to confession, at least, I would say, every two weeks. Um, this is why it's good to go to daily Mass, not just, obviously, there's other reasons than just getting indulgences, but certainly this will help, if, especially if you're seeking to receive this plenary indulgence. And it's also a good reason to pray for the intentions of the Holy Father every single day. Now, you might say, well, what if the Holy Father has bad intentions? Well, I suppose that's possible. But we need to remember that God does not answer bad prayers. You know, God's not going to make something bad happen just because someone prayed a bad prayer. Um, so we can be confident that God will sort out those intentions, whether or not uh, they are the best intentions. So again, to gain a plenary indulgence, you need to exclude all attachments to sin, even venial sins. You need to perform the work, and you need to have had confession at least, you know, recently within the past week or two. Go to communion that day and pray for the intentions of the Pope that day. Now, the point about having no attachment to sin, 
that is certainly a difficult one to achieve, which I imagine requires a high level of holiness, which is a good reason to want to grow in holiness. And I think by doing these types of works devoutly, you will certainly grow in holiness. So even if you aren't gaining the plenary indulgence, we should still be seeking for that. And so that's you know a good reason to go to the daily mass to pray for the intentions of the Pope and uh, so on and so forth. But even if you don't receive a plenary indulgence, you still can receive a partial indulgence. The manual says here, if the full disposition is lacking or if the work and the three prescribed conditions are not fulfilled, saving the provisions given you know, in these other sections, the indulgence will only be partial. So even if you can't make it to daily mass or you forget to say the intentions of the Pope, you know, assuming you're still in a state of grace, you can still receive a partial indulgence. One thing to note is that it says here, the condition of praying for the intention of the Holy Father is fully satisfied by reciting one Our Father and one Hail Mary. Nevertheless, one has the option of reciting any other prayer according to individual piety and devotion, if recited for this intention. So a lot of times you'll see people say, let's say an Our Father, Hail Mary, and a glory be for the intention of the, of the Pope. And as they say here, you can certainly substitute something else as well. A couple other things to note here is that if something is imposed by a law or precept, you cannot receive indulgence for that. So, for example, I believe you can receive a partial indulgence by giving up something that is pleasing to you. However, if it's a Friday and you say, I'm going to give up meat, well, you're supposed to give up meat anyways on Friday, so you can't receive an indulgence for that because that's already part of the law of the church or a precept of the church. So it has to be something that you are not commanded to do. If an indulgence is attached to a prayer, you can re you can receive that by reciting it in any language, provided the translation is approved by the competent ecclesiastical authority. So, for example, you might say the Te Deum. You know, you could say in Latin. I would suggest you <laughs> say it in Latin because uh, you know it's a very beautiful. Gregorian chant, but if you, you know, maybe you prefer to say it in English, if you can find a proper translation of that, that is certainly acceptable. Another note here is, to gain an indulgence, it is sufficient to recite the prayer alternately with a companion or to follow it mentally while it's being recited by another. So as long as you're mentally engaged in this prayer and you're you know, affirming the prayer that's being said, even if you're not the one speaking it out loud, or even if it's not being said out loud at all, as long as you're following the prayer and assenting to it, you can gain that indulgence for any indulgence that has a prayer associated with it. Okay, so now that we've talked about how to gain indulgences, why don't we look at some examples of different indulgences that you might receive. And I'm not going to go into every single example here because uh, that would probably take us another hour at least. Um, and that wouldn't even come close to exhausting all the possibilities. But in this manual of indulgences, they have what they call four general concessions or four grants. Um, and they say here, 
These grants are very general, and each of them includes many works of the same type. Nevertheless, not all such works are endowed with indulgences, but only those which are carried out in a special manner and spirit. Hence, by the first grant, which is as follows, a partial indulgence is granted to the Christian faithful, who, while carrying out their duties and enduring the hardships of life, raise their minds in humble trust to God and make at least mentally some pious invocation. So basically, if you're going about your day, maybe you're at work, or you're doing something for your family, or you're doing, you know, you're just out doing your daily things that you do, and you make a pious invocation, you could receive an indulgence for that. And notice they say pious invocation. It's not just a, you know, empty words that you're just saying just because you, know, you want to say them. It has to be something that's um, pious. You know, as they say here, it's an invocation where the faithful raise their minds in humble trust to God. So this is a devout uh, invocation. It's not just saying some words. So why don't we look at some examples, and these are just some examples of pious invocations. There are certainly others that you can come up with yourself. So some examples are Jesus, praised be Jesus Christ. I believe in you, O Lord. I adore you. I hope in you. I love you. All for you. Thanks be to God. Blessed be God. Your kingdom come, as the Lord wills. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God. So on and so forth. So, as you can see, these are different invocations that one might make throughout the day. And I like to think of this as like sprinkling your speech with these pious invocations. So instead of saying like, wow, that's great. Maybe you could say, wow, glory to God, or praise God. You know, these are things that we can, we can season the way we speak and make them, you know, make our words more holy, raise our hearts and minds to God as we, you know, make these statements. Instead of saying something that's just purely secular or purely mundane, we can say things that, you know, honor God and, you know, bring us closer to God. And this is honestly thing, one thing that I really want to try to do a lot of and I've been trying to do more of. And as you can see here, the manual of indulgences that the bishops in the United States put out is heartily recommending this. Okay, that was the first grant, the pious invocation. The second grant says, a partial indulgence is granted to the faithful who, led by a spirit of faith, give compassionately of themselves or of their goods to serve their brothers in need. By granting of this indulgence, the faithful are encouraged to perform more frequent works of charity and mercy following the example and command of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, not all works of charity are enriched with this indulgence but only the works that serve their brothers in need, such as those in want of food or clothing for the body or of instruction and comfort for the soul. So basically, you're doing a work of charity for someone that is needy. 
you know, whether it's a material need or a spiritual need. And I'm planning to make an episode at some point on the different corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Okay, so number three, a partial indulgence is granted to the faithful who, in a spirit of penance, voluntarily abstain from something that is licit for and pleasing to them. So this is the one I noted earlier. And this is something that we can do quite regularly. You know, perhaps you get in your car and you're accustomed to listening to a podcast or some music or something, and you say, actually, God, I'm going to give this up, and you know, I'm going to spend this time in prayer or whatever. You know, I'm giving this up for you, Lord. Or perhaps, uh, and this is one that uh, St. Francis de Sales likes to recommend, is that every meal you choose something that you would like to do and you give that up. It might be as simple as not salting your food, or maybe you don't take an extra portion, or maybe you choose not to have dessert, or whatever it might be. You're Something that you're actually giving up, not something that's being imposed on you, or you, know, you didn't really intend to do it anyways. So I think you get the idea. And the fourth general grant is a partial indulgence is granted to the Christian faithful who in the particular circumstances of daily life voluntarily give explicit witness to their faith before others. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. You know, say you're at work and someone brings something up about religion, maybe that's a good time for you to explicitly witness to your faith. Or maybe you're on the sidewalk, or maybe you're wherever you are, you know, giving witness to your faith you can receive a partial indulgence for that. Okay, so those are the four general indulgences that you might receive, partial indulgences, making pious invocations throughout the day, doing something for the needy, whether it be materially needy or spiritually needy, abstaining from something that's pleasing to you, or throughout your daily life, giving explicit witness to your faith before others. And I would assume that each instance of this would be a partial indulgence. Certainly it would. Okay, now there are at least 100 more pages of indulgences in this book, so I'm not going to go over all of them. But I'll go over maybe a dozen or so just to give you an idea of some indulgences that you might receive. And again, remember, as long as you make the general intention to receive as many indulgences as you can, um, either in the morning or when you remember, uh, you would certainly receive them, even if you don't know exactly what they are. You know, if you're doing these works, whether you recognize that that work has an indulgence or not, you can still receive it if you make that general intention. Okay, and this is what the manual goes on to say. Certain other prayers, owing to their divine inspiration or to their venerable antiquity and universal usage, are included herein, and cited, as is obvious, by way of example. The nature of prayer itself ensures that the faithful of any rite can acquire the indulgences granted for the pious recitation of prayers, lists of which are found below, whatever the liturgical tradition to which a particular prayer belongs. If the matter is viewed more closely, these prayers can be understood as subsumed under the first general grant 
when they are recited by the faithful in the course of their everyday lives, with their minds raised in humble trust to God. So basically what you can say here is that if you pray throughout the day, if it's a traditional prayer, it has a partial indulgence attached to it. Uh, it's pretty simple and uh, pretty amazing that the church gives us these indulgences for these prayers, for all these traditional prayers. So certainly a great reason to pray them. And obviously the ultimate reason we're doing this is to grow closer to God. As it says here, You know these prayers should be prayed with minds raised in humble trust to God. And now they go on to list some examples where you can receive a plenary indulgence each day of the year for the following things. Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament for at least one half hour. The pious exercise of the way of the cross, or as is often known, the stations of the cross. Recitation of the Marian Rosary in a church or an oratory, or in a family, a religious community, or a sodality of the faithful, or in general, when several of the faithful are gathered for any good purpose. So basically, if you pray the rosary with others, or if you pray in a church, you can receive a plenary indulgence. The devout reading or listening to the sacred scriptures for at least half an hour. Now again, you can only receive one plenary indulgence a day, assuming you meet the proper conditions. But remember, plenary indulgence removes all temporal punishment. So any temporal punishment that you might have had would be completely removed if you received that plenary indulgence. And these are things that it would be good to make a habit of doing every day anyways. At the very least, the devout reading of sacred scripture for at least half an hour. Also, praying a rosary uh, in your family or in a church or with a group. Um, If you can make it to uh, adoration for half an hour every day, that would be fantastic. And uh, praying the way of the cross or the stations of the cross every day. Now, again, you don't have to do all of these. I mean, it would be great if you did all of these, but you're only going to receive one plenary indulgence, assuming you meet the conditions for it. Um, So you really only need to do one of these things to receive the plenary indulgence. But again, certainly encouraged to do multiple of them if you're able to. The other plenary indulgences that are listed in this book, as far as I can tell, most of them are associated to a specific feast and a specific prayer that you might pray on that feast. For example, we see here, a plenary indulgence is granted to the faithful who, on the solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus, publicly recite the act of reparation. A partial indulgence is granted for its use in other circumstances. So, if you publicly recite this act of reparation on the solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus you can receive a plenary indulgence. Or, if you just say it any old day, you can receive a partial indulgence. And that doesn't even have to be in a group. It could be by yourself. So, like I was saying, there are many other ones that you can, at least as far as plenary indulgences go, and many of those are attached to a specific feast Before we wrap this up, I'm going to pick out a few others that 
I think might be more common things that someone might do on a regular basis. So partial indulgence is granted to the faithful who teach or study Christian doctrine. So if you study Christian doctrine, you can receive a partial indulgence. So I would say that I am probably receiving a partial indulgence for teaching this through this podcast and certainly for reading this. So if you have a book of Christian doctrine, whether it's a catechism or the Summa or whatever it might be, you can receive a partial indulgence for studying that. You can receive a partial indulgence for visiting the Blessed Sacrament for adoration. So again, if you go once a day for 30 minutes, you can potentially receive a plenary indulgence. But this is saying, I would assume, even if you visit just for one minute every day, you could still receive a partial indulgence. Although I would encourage you, if you're going to go to adoration, go at least for 5, 10, 15 minutes. Um, But again, do whatever you can. You can also receive a partial indulgence for praying a duly approved prayer to Jesus present in the Blessed Sacrament. Some examples would be the Adorote Devote, the Osacrum Convivium, or the Tantum Ergo. I would assume some others would be Osaltaris Hostia, or pretty much any other traditional prayer that relates to the Blessed Sacrament would come with a partial indulgence. Some other common things that people may do. You can receive a partial indulgence by making an act of spiritual communion. So maybe you couldn't make it to Mass that day. You could pray a spiritual communion. Perhaps read through the prayers of the Mass and then make a spiritual communion. Of course, you can just make a spiritual communion all by itself as well. Or if you make an act of thanksgiving after communion. So some examples might be the Anima Christi. Um, There are many others. If you're praying a Thanksgiving prayer after Mass, if it's a traditional prayer, you can receive a partial indulgence for that. And that's something that I would recommend you do after every Mass, after you receive communion and pray an act of Thanksgiving. You can receive a partial indulgence for examining your conscience with the purpose of amendment. And this is why St. Ignatius and many other saints, I imagine, recommend doing a daily examine. So at the end of your day, you know, examine your conscience and see what you should try to amend for the next day. You can receive a partial indulgence for devoutly reciting an act of contrition according to a legitimate formula. So if it's a traditional prayer of active contrition, perhaps you pray that at the end of your day, or at any time you want, really, Um, and maybe you do that before or after you do your daily examine. And you could theoretically receive two partial indulgences for that. Here's another common one. A partial indulgence is granted to the faithful who devoutly use such articles of devotion properly blessed by either a priest or a deacon. So I would assume this would be something like a blessed rosary or a blessed metal or a blessed scapular. Maybe you have your icon blessed, you have your crucifix blessed, anything that's been blessed by a priest and you're using that for devotion, you can receive a partial indulgence for that. A partial indulgence is granted to the faithful who for their personal edification devoutly spend time in mental prayer. And as St. Teresa of Avila said, 
um, and I'm paraphrasing, the devil knows that he has lost a soul that perseveres in mental prayer. So mental prayer is very important. I would suggest that you learn about that, and I will be going into that at some point on this podcast, but certainly praying mental prayer every day. And I think you could include that in your uh, reading of Scripture. Perhaps you read Scripture for 30 minutes, and you do Lectio Divina. You're doing mental prayer there. And, uh, yeah, you can receive partial indulgences for both of those. A partial indulgence is granted to the faithful who assist with attention and devotion to the preaching of the Word of God. Now, I assume this applies particularly to going to Mass or some conference, but perhaps it applies to um, YouTube videos as well. I don't know. At the very least, uh, it'd certainly be a good practice to you know, listen to good preachers, uh, good Catholic uh, priests that are giving good uh, sermons. You can, and you might receive a partial indulgence for that. Again, some other partial indulgences. We mentioned that you can receive a plenary indulgence for praying the rosary in a church or with a group. But if you're just praying by yourself and maybe you can't make it to church, you can receive a partial indulgence for praying the rosary. So why not pray it every day? You can receive a partial indulgence for devoutly reciting the Magnificat. You can receive a partial indulgence for at dawn, noon, or evening, devoutly reciting the Angelus. Or in the Easter season, the Regina Celi. You can also receive a partial indulgence for devoutly addressing the Blessed Virgin Mary with some approved prayer, such as the Memorare, the Salve Regina, so on and so forth. So basically any traditional Marian prayer. You can receive a partial indulgence for praying to your guardian angel. You know, the, the uh, angel of God, my guardian dear prayer, or some other traditional guardian angel prayer. You can receive a partial indulgence for invoking St. Joseph with a duly approved prayer. So some traditional prayer to St. Joseph. Now, we could go on and on, but I think I'm going to wrap it up here. So there are some other categories of indulgences that you can receive. You can receive partial indulgences for praying a particular prayer for that saint on their feast day. So that's why it's good to know about the different feasts on the calendar and pray for that saint, uh, some approved prayer that invokes that saint. You can receive partial indulgences for public novenas or reciting an approved litany, some traditional litany by yourself or with a group. You can receive a partial indulgence for reciting one of the traditional approved little offices. And another type of partial indulgence, which I don't think we covered quite yet, is if you go to a church on the feast day. So, for example, if you go to St. Jerome's on the feast of St. Jerome, you can receive a partial indulgence um, and so on and so forth. So basically find out what the patron of your church is and try to go to Mass on that day, and you can receive a partial indulgence for that as well. So as you can see, there's a lot of cases where 
they say you can receive a partial indulgence for this prayer or some other approved prayer. So basically, if you have, in my estimation, an old prayer book that has traditional prayers in it, or maybe the Rakulta, which is a book of traditional indulgences, if you pray that prayer, you're probably going to receive indulgence for it. So that's another good reason to have these traditional prayer books because they have been approved prayers and pretty much, as far as I can tell, all of them will have indulgences attached to them. And like it said, at the very least, you can consider it under the general grant, which is a pious invocation. So any prayer can be a pious invocation. So there you have it. If you are in the habit of doing spiritual things, um, doing, you know, trying to grow in holiness, trying to grow in your relationship with God and receiving the sacraments regularly, you will receive many indulgences. So why don't we wrap this up by a quick recap. So indulgences are received by the authority of the church. Christ has given the Pope and the apostles and the bishops through the authority of the Pope, the ability to grant indulgences. As he said, what you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven, and when you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. And that not only applies to eternal punishment, you know, our forgiveness of sins and confession, but also temporal punishment, which will be either in purgatory or we can work out now through indulgences. So, if you do regular works of devotion, you can receive an indulgence. All you have to do is be a Catholic in good standing, meaning you're not excommunicated, you've you know received uh, baptism, and you're in a state of grace. So, a good reason to go to confession at least every two weeks, um, at least if you're trying to seek uh, plenary indulgence every day. And, you know, pray for the intentions of the Pope every single day and make a general intention to receive as many indulgences as you can throughout the day in the morning. And even if you don't remember which things are indulgences or maybe you never even found out all the things because there are many things that I did not list, um, you can still receive indulgences even if you are not aware of them as long as you make that general intention. So again, Make the general intention in the morning to receive as many indulgences as you can. May ask to have those applied to the souls in purgatory. And, you know, perhaps a specific relative or friend that you may have known that has passed away. Um, make sure you're in a state of grace. Go to regular confession. Make sure you pray for the intention of the Pope each day. Make sure that you, you know, try to go to communion uh, as often as you can because you have to go to communion that day if you want to receive a plenary indulgence. So as often as you're able to go to daily uh, Mass and receive communion, you're more likely, or able at least, to receive that plenary indulgence. And now I'll wrap this up with two final points from this Manual of Indulgences. It says, The faithful can obtain partial or plenary indulgences for themselves, or they can attain, apply them to the dead by way of suffrage. 
The faithful who perform with at least inward contrition an action to which a partial indulgence is attached obtain, in addition to the remission of temporal punishment acquired by the action itself, an equal remission of punishment through the intervention of the church. So basically what that means is that you not only receive the indulgence, but you receive double the merits that you might have received. So, and this is for every indulgence that you receive. Isn't that great how merciful the church is? How, how much grace they pour out on us? That our, our Holy Mother, the church, pours out on us? We can receive double of what we've earned, of what we've merited, by God's grace. And again, we have to remember that all these indulgences come from God's grace, from the infinite merits of what Christ has done for us, and also from the merits of what the saints have, have merited on our behalf. This is something that the church gives us that is, as the Council of Trent and the church continues to say, is salutary to us. It's something that is to be encouraged, to be promoted. It is advantageous for us to do this and is not something that is, you know, someone could say it's an extra, but it's it's something that why wouldn't we want to take advantage of this? You know, it's not that difficult. Is you know, If you're seeking to live a Catholic life to begin with, you know, you're seeking to do acts of devotion throughout your day, which you should be, why not make the general intention in the morning of receiving, you know, as many indulgences as you can, as you can, even if you can't make it to mass, um, even if you forget to to pray for the intentions of the Pope, you can still receive partial indulgences, and again, maybe that's a great reason to try to make it to daily mass to pray for the intentions of the Pope because you could receive plenary indulgence. So. Let us make this general intention, and again, don't worry so much about, did I receive the plenary indulgence? Did I receive the partial indulgence? I need to remember all the different types of things that I need to do. You know, this this list that I went through of, of ways that you can receive indulgences is, is, is here to encourage us to grow in devotion to our Lord. And so look at this list and say, yes, these are practices that I want to take up. Not just to receive an indulgence, but yes, I mean, obviously that's a great thing that you can do, but ultimately to grow closer to our Lord. And, you know, these things are here as an incentive to us, but also as a great grace and mercy to us as well. So let's take advantage of that. In nomine Patris et Filii, in Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen.